All right, welcome everybody to the Gala 100th episode edition of Legal Tech Week. We uh, launched this show way back on May 15th, 2020. And uh, on most Fridays since then, we have convened here with a panel of journalists and bloggers to talk about the week's top stories in legal tech and innovation. And Gene, you're back. You can, uh, Mute yourself a little bit because I think there's a lot of noise coming in off the train. Uh, and uh, okay, okay. And uh, well, well, the composition of this panel on this show has changed from time to time. We actually have the original panelists uh, all on. The original panel we started with was Zach Warren, Molly McDonough, Joe Patrice, Nikki Black, and Caroline Hill. Who's actually not on, but she sent in a video. Uh, but we've changed from over time. Various panelists have come and go. Others have sat in now and then. So today we have invited everybody who's ever been a panelist on the show to sit in. Uh, we've got 20 people here, uh, not counting Caroline, who's going to be here via a recording, and uh, Isha Marath is going to dial in a little bit later. She's still working, apparently, uh, and uh, we hope she gets to join us. And rather than do our usual format of go around and talk about the week's top stories, we've, we were kind of uh, having a little trouble thinking about what just what the format should be. So. Uh, Nikki Black, uh, as uh, as appropriate for the times, took it to ChatGPT and asked ChatGPT what we should talk about. And ChatGPT actually came up with a really good suggestion, which is that each of us talk about one big idea, which is a major trend, story, or shift that we've noticed in legal tech over the past few years that we've been doing this show, but not AI or the pandemic. And then also one small change, a subtle, perhaps overlooked change in, that they think will have long-term implications. So thanks to Nikki and to ChatGPT for coming up with that, that idea. And that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to go reverse alphabetical order around the panelists and ask everybody to quickly introduce themselves and then share their big idea and their small change. Um, I, I do... Uh, you know, with, with so many panelists, uh, time is obviously going to be short. We're, we're probably going to spill over the hour, maybe go as long as 90 minutes. Not, I know not everybody can make it for that time, so no worries about that. Uh, and I hope other panelists will feel free to drop in comments as we go through this. And I hope all of you in the chat uh, feel free to share your comments as well. And uh, okay, quiet down in that party back there. Again. Quiet down. The party behind me is really going wild here. It's it's the 100th anniversary celebration. I hope they can quiet down. But before we do get started, I just want to say on a personal note just how grateful I am to all of these people who have shared their time and insights and humor and friendship and through their participation in this show over the years. Uh, and for all of you who uh, join us here live or listen to the podcast or watch us on YouTube, many of you are regulars, and I'm really honored that you choose to spend an hour of your precious time with us on a regular basis. So I really appreciate it. So on that note, uh, I think it's time to get going. And uh, Stephanie, kick us off. Yeah, man, reverse alphabetical order. Not my friend today. Um, Stephanie Wilkins, uh, now the editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. You will hear from my predecessor very shortly in the alphabet. Um, when you all started this, I was at Above the Law actually doing a lot of product reviews and behind-the-scenes stuff, and no one knew who I was. 
Um, so other than that being a big thing for me in the last two years, I would say for a big thing, I'm going to go with these major acquisitions that have been going on. We've had a couple of them this year. We're starting to get covered on, you know, non-legal tech publications. So we're getting, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times dipping its toe in legal tech news. So that's interesting. A uh, smaller shift. I don't know if it's really small, but I would say I thought it was really interesting that we learned that we could do a lot remotely with technology when we were forced to. And now everyone is conveniently forgetting about that and just going back to the way things were done and saying, why wouldn't we just be in the office? So read into that what you will. And I feel like that was my allotted time, right? <laughs> That's good. If not for remote technology, we wouldn't be doing this show. Exactly. All right, Zach Warren, you're up. Yeah. Hey there, reverse alphabetical order does slightly well for me. I get to go second instead of first. I'm good with that. Um, I'm Zach Warren. I, like Stephanie said, I used to be editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News. Now I am the Technology and Innovation Insights Lead at the Thomson Reuters Institute. My first time back on Legal Tech Week for a year, so happy to did, be here. Did they acquire Thank you, you for, for $650 million? Is that right? <laughs> I wish. That would be nice. Um, no, not yet. We'll see in the future. Um, <laughs> No, but big shift. So I was thinking about it and I wanted to do something a little bit older. And the thing that came up immediately for me, August 2020, the state of Utah created an innovation sandbox for the legal industry to not necessarily blur the lines between technology and law firms, but to see are there different models out there that can be used for how to practice law. Uh, very soon after the state of Arizona did something similar, changed their rules entirely to allow for that. Um, it's interesting to look back three years later, Stanford did a study last year that said, yeah, this is working, but not many other states have followed suit. So that's something forward-looking as well that we'll see whether more states follow what Utah and Arizona have done. Um, small thing, and I think we're probably, Stephanie already talked about acquisitions. We're probably going to talk about how big money legal technology has gotten. I think my small thing alongside that is just what that does to mindsets and congeniality within the profession. Um, I think it's been interesting since 2016 when I started at LTN to now, just how much, how many more people are in this, but how much more people are treating legal tech like a big business, um, having to be responsive to VC, to shareholders, et cetera, um, to the extent that yeah, the exhibit halls, it's a little bit more competitive maybe than it used to be in the past. And we'll see whether that continues as well moving forward. Thanks, Zach. The uh, the innovation sandbox in Utah is just huge, I think. And I think that's really going to be something that in, in the Arizona program, uh, we were talking, Molly and I were chatting back and forth about the ABA news this week with the former ABA executive director, you know, going to Rocket Lawyer with the, with this immediate charge being getting Rocket Lawyer approved as an ABS in Arizona. So it's, it's, it's interesting times. All right, Julie, you're up. Yay, reverse alphabetical order. Hi, I'm Julie Shabawali, and I am a legal tech journalist. I write for the Canadian Bar Association and lots of other places. Rogu is holding my hat right now because that's what he wants to do. 
as we celebrate. Um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> I think the biggest shift is, is actually cultural. We no longer ask the why, we ask the how. And this is now an inclusive conversation. Um, when I started writing about legal tech, it was just a few of us, <laughs> right? And we were just a subset of the profession. That is no longer the case. Every conference, every law school, every regulator is thinking about legal technology. This is the norm. It's gone mainstream. Even the onion is spoofing us <laughs> with ChatGPT taking the bar exam. So I think this, um, this community has, has grown the way that we have always envisioned from the beginning. It is now part of the profession. And I think one of the smaller stories that I think we are um, missing and I hope we continue to talk about is the diversity within legal tech. And Paladin has done a lot of great research about this over the last few years, uh, about the need for more female founders and of course, founders of color. And this is still a huge story within big tech. And as legal technology continues to be big in the billions, this is something that I think our profession is gonna be talking about as well. So I wish I was dancing. I, I just look at Bob's background and I, ju I just feel like I shouldn't be sitting, but- Come on over, the party's just starting. Uh, no, I, I I really love that. We we no longer ask the why, we ask the how. I think that's so perceptive, and and that's that's really a, such a significant change in in especially for as you say for a lot of us who've been following this area for a long time, and uh, it's it's a different world right now, and that's that's really great. Um, now we get to sitting in the plaza, Joe Patrice. Hey everybody, Joe Patrice from Above Law. I guess so. We had. Stephanie Van Zack. So I guess after Julie, I'll be the uh, editor of Legal Tech News. But for now, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, since we're going back like that. Uh, so yeah, so I was thinking about this. I feel like I'm going to be a bit of a downer. Uh, and this is related. And I think it's all, you know, more of a speed bump than a long term thing. But talking about all the money that is now in this space, I'd also, I thought my big thing over at least the course of this show has been the moment where we learned that maybe it, the legal tech wasn't ready for prime time uh, in that we had a few companies go public. We, we've been talking for a while about who's going to go public or things are going to go public, whatever. And then, uh, you know, LegalZoom down, uh, Disco down, Intap slightly up, but I also don't count them as solely legal tech since they do a lot of fintech work. So I think the big issue, and then we heard of a bunch of companies that I think we all privately or publicly expected to go public, then kind of re-examined re their lives and decided not to. Uh, so I think that that's a big thing for me that, you know, there is a lot of money in it, but maybe it's not money that uh, the street is quite ready to go for on the exchange. Yeah, and I, I think that. Kiwi Camera would agree with you 100% on that. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So uh, other big things of the week. Uh, and then I guess the little thing I'll say is, you know, let's just, um, I know it's a party and it's important to be in a party, but we should think about those that we lost throughout this. So word perfect doesn't go to conferences anymore. And I feel really bad to not see word perfect when I go places. So pour a little out for them. So a moment of silence for word perfect. It's still, it actually does. I still see it at ABA tech show. I think they still go to ABA tech oh. show. See, I thought it wasn't there last year. That was like, Maybe my, oh, Maybe wow, not. they're not here. Um, anyway, yeah. Steve would know, maybe. Um, he got me. 
but I would put Blackberry in. I would put Blackberry in the same bucket. They they don't do anything, but they still seem to. They still send me emails. I don't. <laughs> You know, when I when I practiced when I practiced law a long time ago, the courts would only take documents on WordPerfect. I I submitted in Word once, and I got it returned to me because they were like, "No, you gotta you gotta use WordPerfect." I'm like, "I don't even have WordPerfect." The New York courts still provide some of their templated forms in WordPerfect. Yeah, I practice in New York. Awesome. <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Well. Uh, Gene O'Grady, is your audio now working live from the Acela or wherever you are? They, oh, they haven't stopped the announcements yet. Give me a <laughs> go on to somebody else and come back to me. <laughs> All right. We will skip over you and go to Molly McDonough. All right. One, Molly one McDonough. One of our original panelists. The OG. Um, I am uh, Molly McDonough. A former editor of the ABA Journal and uh, currently co-host of uh, Talk Justice, uh, which is super fun. So love being uh, back on here. One of the things I got to talk about uh, at the beginning of the show was access to justice. So since um, my uh, big idea, Arizona and U Utah has already been discussed, I'll just add another old idea that's new again, thanks to technology, which is bringing court access directly to the people through kiosks. Um, you know, it's been happening for a few years, but we're seeing an acceleration of that, not just in the court in the courthouses, but directly into communities, into um, libraries and domestic violence shelters and homeless shelters. I think, you know, this is a fantastic development in legal technology and increasing access. Um, and it just reminds me every single time I write about it and think about it of the old circuit court system with the circuit writers writing in, um, um, you know, th into communities to hold court and uh, meet out justice. So it's just, uh, I like to see these, these uh, developments. On my little thing, um, also in access to justice, I'll do, it's a big thing, but a little thing in um, the shift to plain language. Uh, and opening up access, these little changes in uh, making documents and forms comprehensible and easy to to um, easier to understand and file and understand the processes is a major game changer. Just had a conversation with um, language experts in New Mexico. They're doing some really interesting work there. One of the side things that they discovered was that when they um, implemented the, their new scribing program that implements a lot of plain language components, um, they saw a vast increase in um, participation from jurors who had trouble filling out the jury questionnaire in the past. So I think, you know, the implications um, and impact from just plain language can be enormous. That's it. And my hat's from the Indiana State Fair. Been there, done that. Um, Being there, done that. <laughs> So my first time at the state fair, even though I'm a Hoosier. <laughs> yeah, the, the the plain language thing is, is really, a I, I can say it's, it's a little thing, but it's a big thing. And uh, it, it has been, um, I don't know how much it's it's driven by technology. I, I mean, it, it probably is in part just because technology has made public accessible to documents and all of this so much greater and, and therefore the need for having them be in plain language, I guess, but. I would say, so one of the reasons it's linked to tech is because of that uniformity, um, the necessity for uniformity in tech 
uh, you have to go through that exercise. And when you're going through that exercise, you're making things more accessible um, electronically and um, kind of that low, that low level access through um, just making things comprehensible. Sounds good. Jean, how's your, how's your situation? I, 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 well, you let me know. I'm, there's no noise right now. So I'm Gina Grady. You sound good. The Dewey Strategic Blog. And uh, I guess I'm going to be really I guess the, the thing yeah. that I'm sort of saddened about is the, is the decline or the, the disappearance of lower cost legal research platforms. I mean, maybe maybe GB2 will, will generate a new generation of them, but we have some lost some really interesting, innovative little products over the past couple of years through mergers. But the, the under the radar thing that I think no one is paying attention to is that as the world globalizes, Fast Case Velex is the only large information company positioned to sell a global product because all of the major vendors either don't have much or their offerings are completely siloed into separate business units. And I think everyone is going to be surprised when VLEX Fast Case comes out with the first global AI-driven international legal research platform. And I don't think anyone's prepared for that. I think that's really interesting, but I, I keep one of the things I keep wondering is how much that matters to most lawyers. I mean, if, if I am a lawyer practicing in Massachusetts, which I am, as a matter of fact, uh, how much do I care about having access to the laws of, uh, I don't know, Afghanistan or, or Ghana or whatever? I mean, it, why does it matter to me? Well, I'm not saying that you don't matter to the big money, but the big companies that are investing in building large platforms, those are the ones who are going, I don't know that they're going for solo practitioners in, uh, in Massachusetts, but the large uh, Wait, I'm not information the companies that are supporting the fight. You may not be, Bob, sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the Fortune 500 law firms are going to, you know, that is going to be very appealing to them because they do have to deal with transnational regulation and uh, compliance. All right, makes sense. Let's um, not press, press our luck, I'm getting off. All right, well, thanks for doing it, Gina, appreciate it. Safe travels. All right. Uh, Isha would be next, but she's not here yet, right? Am I missing anything? I don't see her there. Uh, which means straight from, uh, direct from Burger King, Victor Lee. Actually, this is not a Burger King crown. This is it's just some random, <laughs> some random crown I had lying around. I, I actually, it, don't we all I, have I, random I always think of uh, that the, 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 the Steve Perry video for O'Sherry where he's wearing that crown and just looks really stupid. Um, so anyway, I am Victor Lee. I am assistant <laughs> managing editor at DABA Journal. Uh, Molly used to be my boss. Actually, she promoted me to my current job. So thank you, Molly. And this is all your fault. Um, uh, but uh, you can thank uh, me because Molly used to I used to be Molly's boss and that she left me so she could go boss you. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, well, um, well, I, 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 I worked at L, I worked at legal, what used what used to be law technology news now right. legal tech news for, for a hot minute. And I, and I worked for I, I worked in the Monica Bay there. 
And so I mean, I mean, you know, she always said that you she always said that she always said that she always said that she and Bob basically basically started this whole this whole beat. So yeah, thank you to you both for that. Um <laughs> that's pretty much true. Yeah. Um the I guess for me the big the big thing um kind of looking at sort of how we we've talked a little bit about how technology has helped um with us with our transition from like uh from a world where we all had to be in an office for you know a definite amount of time, you know, five, six days a week or whatnot. To now, where we can we can do the job from pretty much wherever we wherever we want, as long as we have a stable internet connection and whatnot. And but the the effect that that's going to have on sort of like law firm culture and law firm retention that'll be interesting to see that going forward. I think I think it's going to be a huge. And, and I talked uh, in um, uh, a podcast episode I just did this past week. I talked to I talked to a consultant about that from HBR. Uh, well, I guess now the Harbor, not HBR anymore. But you know, yeah, he's saying that he told me that like that. That's sort of the thing, the biggest drawback about the whole uh, remote work uh, transition is that now, you know, law firms are really kind of having, really struggling with how to like, how to maintain their, their sense of culture and, and maintain that sense of cohesiveness and whatnot. And we're already seeing with the new generation that, you know, they're not really looking to like stay at a firm for like, you know, 20, 30 years, the way previous generations were, where you, you know, you work hard, you make partner, and then you, and, and then you kind of, you know, go from there. So it'll be interesting to kind of see like if, if, I mean, I, I imagine, I mean, you know, there's already been a lot of like movement in general, like especially the last few years, but you know, whether, whether, whether this um, trend, you know, c you know, contributes to even more kind of like the breakdown of like the traditional kind of like, you know, law firm culture and like, and like retention policies and things like that. Um, as for like a smaller thing, I struggle with this one, but um, one thing that I, 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 that really just, I, I, that kept coming back to me is that, you know, um, a few weeks ago, we talked about, or I guess maybe a few months ago, we talked about how emojis uh, in in response to uh, to to messages. You know, um, there, there was an ethics opinion that said that you know, um, like a, like an emoji that was used to respond to uh, to an offer, uh, you know, could be binding under under certain circumstances and whatnot. And so I think obviously as 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 we as we see more and more more people relying on those, and also I mean you could you could you could you could extend it to memes, you can extend it to like all kinds of things. Um, any kind of like response from someone is going to be seen as you know they're going to interpret it. They're going to look at it. Okay, what the what's the intention? And that's going to that's going to um, you know how how courts kind of how courts kind of navigate that and how they interpret those uh, responses. Uh, it's going to be interesting going forward to see whether or not you know we see we, we see an expansion of this or whether that was just more of a kind of like a one off unique circumstance. Um, but that was that, that that was the one I came up with. I was trying to come up with something really really kind of kind of really kind of small that, you know, wasn't necessarily, you know, might, you know, might not, might not have, um, 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 you know, the kind of impact that maybe the bigger idea would. And so that, that was what I came up with. I like it. Emojis. Um, all right. Um, any thoughts on that? Any comments? We're ready to move on. Uh, Steve Lerner, I think you're up next. All right. Uh, well, congratulations, Bob, on 100 or how many episodes. So thank <laughs> you so much. 100-ish. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, thank you so much for uh, inviting me on here. Um, I'm Steve Lerner, uh, senior reporter from Law 360 Pulse. Um, oh, man, some really good topics were already taken for, for big trends in the past few years. And especially, we can't do AI, we can't do the pandemic. So I want to broaden this discussion into bringing in some of our in-house folks. And I think the big trend in the past few years that has really grown in terms of in-house technology has to be the rise of legal operations. 
Um, so many new, so many departments are now embracing legal ops, both as a role and as, as a mindset, um, trying to, to improve their perception in the business, trying to uh, make, uh, trying to streamline work. So that, that to me is a big trend that I see growing. And then I guess the smaller trend that I'm seeing that really hasn't caught a lot of attention, I think there are going to be a ton of legal tech startups that are going to shut down in the next year or two. Um, some of that, that will fall into consolidation, but you have some legal tech startups that are just not getting good traction in the market, I've heard. And I just see in the next few years, some of the smaller startups are just going to fall out of existence, so to speak. So that's what I'm seeing right now uh, as my trends. The Debbie Downer noise just went off in the background. Sorry. The party's stopping all of a sudden back here. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I should say, uh, if it's you know, it's okay to have the same big idea that somebody else had because you may have a different perspective on why it's a big idea or different thoughts on it or it just validates the fact that it is a big idea. So I don't I don't think uh, you should avoid saying something just because somebody else is already saying it. Inevitably, inevitably there's going to be some duplication here as we go through this. But no, I think those are really good points. I, I think the it is interesting on on the startups here. You're, you're, you're getting I'm getting that vibe that there's some companies that are really feeling some desperation right now. Uh, and I mean, I don't know about you, Steve, but they don't they only, they only tell me the good news. They don't tell me the bad news. But um, you're really getting a sense from some of them just from what the so what what you see them doing and, and uh, you know, it, it, Clearly, there's some some issues going on. So, hopefully, they hopefully they pull up pull out. Um, all right, and uh, our our second uh, representative from Canada here today. I don't know if you're in Canada, but Joshua Lennon. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. Hey, Joshua. Um, I think I have two trends that I want to highlight. Um, one of which came about from our recent announcement. That Clio is now a member benefit with all 50 state bars. And it's something that took us 10 years to accomplish. Uh, so I, uh, it started like slow and then it got fast and then it slowed down again. But it actually, I think, ties into Julie's point of we're asking the how. Regulators are now just assuming that technology will be a part of the practice of law. And I want to take it one step further than Julie. And what I'm seeing at an international level is they're also telling lawyers how to practice. We're seeing requests for very highly specialized formatted reports on trust accounting that will be reviewed electronically by regulators. So we've gone from, we don't really talk about technology. Here's an ethics opinion that maybe includes the word technology, but that's it to now law societies and bar associations saying, this is the specific tech and the outputs we require. And I think that's a really big change for having regulators come down on the side of a particular technology. My small trend that I don't think anybody's noticed is actually related to that. Um, the software that was being built when I started a decade ago in legal tech always had one tagline built by lawyers, for lawyers and it was the crappiest software out there ridiculously bad and um, what we've seen in the last decade is legal tech leaning into technology standards in a way 
that had never been done before. Uh, and I think it's because we've shifted to like cloud computing and mobile devices and all of these things, right? Where if you wanted your app up on the Apple store, it had to work a certain way. And so these technology standards are an underlying trend to the success of legal technology that I, I don't think anybody's really been paying attention to or reporting on, but it's gonna give longevity to this data in a way that we've never seen before. So even as law firms uh, split up or dissolve and we are going to see this data carry forward in electronic format in a way that was just lost to time before. So I'm pretty excited about both of those trends. You're just saying that because neither of your founders were lawyers. So they weren't, yeah, which is why they brought me on. But um, I used legal technology software and I worked for uh, another company prior to Clio that built bad software. So I, I am able to speak from a little bit of experience. Yeah, but I think that's a real, I think that's really interesting. And it's, uh, but I, I think there's also, well, I don't want to, I hope this is nobody's trend, but I think also the fact that there were so many companies started by lawyers who saw problems you know, in their own practices that weren't being addressed by any software out there and said, well, if nobody else is going to do it, then I'm going to do it. But, you know, I think you're absolutely right that that a lot of those have evolved either either they didn't work out or they evolved to the point where they said, well, we really need to get some people involved here who know what they're doing on the technology side, because, yeah, by lawyers for lawyers doesn't work well when it comes to creating software. All right. That brings us to Greg Lambert. Hi, I'm Greg Lambert. I'm uh, Bob's second favorite uh, podcaster behind himself um, <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, the Geek and Review. Um, and I am the Chief uh, Knowledge Services Officer at Jackson Walker. Um, so my big trend, I think, is something that I, I think is so obvious, but it has flown under the uh, or has been so slow that we may not have realized that it's happened. And that's this um, decentralization of legal technology in, at least in law firms, in that if you look at the role of a CIO now, um, I would say a large percentage of that role is, is security now. Um, and so a lot of new roles have sprung up because the responsibility of making sure the the network is running and secure and your data is secure has become so massive that you now have chief technology officers you now have chief innovation officers you now have uh, chief uh, strategy officers all of these different roles now and uh, you know technology coming into and being tested uh, in areas that are not necessarily IT anymore so I think that's that's something that we may have not kind of seen because it's been such a slow movement. Um, but uh, has I, but I think because of that, it's opened up a lot more technology uses within within the firm because you're not just having it funneled into one you know one one part of the firm. So that was my big one. My uh, small one was. Um, we couldn't we couldn't say AI, so I'm going to talk about the the 25 year old overnight success of uh, APIs um, <laughs> that finally 
after all of these years that you have large uh, you know, legal information vendors that have suddenly decided that they're going to allow